Pace Line rides two abreast, and we take the lane thanks to one cyclist in Michigan who took on the man. Fatty enlightens us on the right speed to ride your bike, and more evidence that the front derailleur could be an endangered species. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, starting to show some form. We launched this podcast in the midst of base training, and now we're throwing down some real efforts. One reason? Fatty of FatCyclist.com. All right. Cheering for myself again. Someone's yeah. got to. Yes. Indeed. Patrick Brady, RedKitePrayer.com. You on the hoods or in the drops today? Uh, after the ride I had Saturday, I'm on the tops. That's that's okay. That's fun. <laughs> Monday recovery ride type day. It's the day we record this show, so that's cool to be on the tops today. I'm Michael Houghton, your host. Uh, we all had quite a weekend. All three of us lined up somewhere and pretended we were competitors. Fatty, let's start with you. The True Grit Epic. We talked about the True Grit uh, a few shows ago. Saturday was the day. And how did the day go? Well, for those who don't remember or just don't know, the True Grit Epic is in St. George, Utah, and it is an extremely technical mountain bike race, about 50 miles. Although, there is the option to do two laps of around 100 miles. I simply can't imagine that. But the centerpiece is the Zen Trail, which is pretty famous for being an extremely technical trail on its merits. Um, So there's always a little bit of nervousness about that race. And I certainly was nervous when I went to bed Friday night, woke up at 4.30 in the morning, not to my alarm, but to the sound of torrential rain. And so I just laid there for about an hour listening to the rain going and going and going and thinking this is going to combine with the clay-like dirt in on the trail and it's going to eat my derailleur alive. Uh, called some friends, texted some friends, asked questions, fretted, and the consensus was, well, let's go out there and if it's terrible, we just will turn around and call it a day went out there to the most perfect trail conditions imaginable. And I remember remember thinking probably 20 times that day, I am so glad that I did not bail on this race because the temperature was right around 65 degrees. There was no wind whatsoever. People were just amazingly wonderful to each other, you know, yielding to each other, giving each other the trail, You know, everyone just seemed to be in a fantastic mood on the perfect trail conditions, the perfect day, and the fact that we were all out there having an amazing time on our bikes. For myself, I uh, I did not have a great race. I I got tenth in the fifty plus cat age group, my first race ever in the age fifty plus group, and I'm happy with that. Because I got other fish to fry right now. Uh, Racing is not the number one thing in my head. What I'm really proud of is the women I was with who were racing. My wife, Lisa, uh, was the only woman single speeder racing. And she actually beat her best time or her other time that she's done this race by a couple of minutes, even though she was on a single speed. And in spite of the fact that she took a very hard and painful fall during the race. My daughter, Melissa, who raced, she actually won the women's sport division, her Mm. first mountain bike race ever, and she won it, 
We wow. missed seeing her at the finish <laughs> wow. line because we thought that she wouldn't be in for another half hour. And she rolled in and just uh, had a banner day, is riding super strong, and we've upgraded our expectations for her for the rest of the season. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, we're proud. And is she forgiven you for not being at the finish line? <laughs> oh, I hope so. I haven't asked yeah. for forgiveness. I'm, I'm assuming forgiveness. <laughs> you are. Patrick Brady, you continued your Grasshopper Adventure Series participation with Miguel Crawford at all. Uh, well, just a little wet this weekend, right? Um, you could say that, yeah, a little bit wet. Um, so uh, the Chileno Valley uh, Grasshopper starts in Occidental, just like old Kaz. Uh, you climb up Coleman Valley Road. Uh, go to the coast instead of dropping down Willow Creek on, on the dirt road. You stay on pavement. This thing was bombed out, potholed. Um, by the time we were to the top of Coleman Valley, um, it had started raining. And it rained off and on for the entire day. Um, temperature was about 50 degrees. Uh, the wind was, I'll go with fierce. Um there were times where the wind was just blowing the rain sideways. Uh, at one point, going into a headwind, I was doing five miles an hour. Uh, it was it was just crazy, crazy hard conditions. Um, the toughest conditions I've ever raced in, given that it was 80 miles, 8,000 feet of climbing, um, you know, like seven good solid climbs, um, you know, cold, wet, uh, but I mean, it was the sort of course where people weren't able to drop out. This wasn't like some circuit race where, you know, after your second of three circuits, you could go, oh, screw it, and just pack up. Uh, once you were out there, you were out there. Um, incredibly beautiful. You know, I know uh, a fair number of those roads. I'd been on almost all of them at least once before. Um, but it was uh, really stunningly hard conditions. And for whatever yeah. reason, uh, I kept my wits about me and really was in a great mood <laughs> all day. Uh, and this, despite getting dropped by the main group uh, on the climb up Coleman Valley. So it was me and one friend together when he flatted at the top of the climb. One more flat, and then we were deeply in no man's land and just gradually clawing our way back through the group. Did I see they handed out booties at the beginning of this ride? No, no, we'd all shown up with the same brand uh, oh. of booties. Yeah, Velo Toes. Um, the company was started by some people uh, here in Sonoma County. I think they're maybe even all in Santa Rosa. Um, and a friend of mine made an introduction. And, uh, you know, think latex glove for your foot. Um, mm -hmm. And this was my second ride in a pair. And... To the degree that my foot was damp at the finish, I'm going to attribute 90% of it just to perspiration inside my shoe. Um, I was seriously blown away at how good they were. So, yeah, hmm. Velotoes, T-O-Z-E dot com. Yeah, I, I was following some of the weather. Um, I didn't hear that, that uh, Utah was getting pounded, but I, I did follow some of that Sonoma County weather, and there were... There were some pretty extreme warnings going on for that area, so good on you that you that you made it through oh, there that was, event. There was standing water four or five different times, you know, where you were going through four inches of water. Um, yeah, I've 
seriously, I've had some big, difficult days on the bike. Um, and I've never, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm so glad I did it. Uh, but that said, (laughs) I am profoundly sore. Sleeping last night was really difficult. I can't even explain all the soreness in my upper body. Um, Mm -hmm. I just, I don't even understand it. It feels like I got run over. Well, for me, it was something short and sweet, and I'll keep it short and sweet because the conditions I had and the length that I faced was uh, at the complete opposite end of what you guys did. I did a cross-country race. Uh, we did get a little rain here locally, um, but uh, I did a cross-country race Sunday, Sunday at Benelli Park, and some folks may know this from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure fame. It's in San Dimas. The, the world-famous water slides are there, Raging Waters. Uh, but they do a couple mountain bike races there, cross-country there every year. And uh, did an XC race yesterday. Did okay. It was really a confidence builder for me. I, I've not had a great winter. I've been on my left hip a couple times and some crashes. And so I really needed just to go out and, and build a little confidence, uh, clean the course a couple of times, uh, ride within myself, focus on the course and not the competitors. And that's what I did. I mean, and it came off just fine came out great uh veronica my wife was there got a good couple of pictures and overall had a good time so i was glad i went even though i was hesitant at first and uh, faced a few demons out there there's a rock garden out there that gives me a hard time and did well there and also ran into fox afterwards i have fox uh, full um, suspension components on my full suspension mountain bike good to talk with those guys they they dialed in my sag just perfect so i was glad i ran into those guys as well so xc race for hottie hour and 15 minutes and perfect conditions nothing like you guys face but great weekend guys and look uh, weather though did affect our the pro peloton in a pretty dramatic and, and big way uh, perry nice the first big stage race of the year had a snow day <laughs> um that was stage three mid-stage they called it off due to snow uh, the race to the sun turned into the race through the slush on uh, that day and as soon as officials called the stage you could see riders jumping into team cars some of them jumped into homes of local folk uh pretty crazy scene things were so extreme that Luis Mate of Kofidi said that riders started to urinate on themselves to try and stay warm that is a technique I've not quite heard of oh I, I have um, <laughs> yep yeah <laughs> keep to keep the fingers moving yep 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 really yep ouch and, of course, there was your usual eraser grumbling. Marcel Cattell of Etix tweeted that, look, they should have had a plan B here. They knew the snow was coming. They should have just called off the stage they had planned and moved them to somewhere else where they could race. Um, so he, of course, jumped on Twitter and jumped on the race organizers for that. Garrett Thomas was the eventual winner in a pretty dramatic final day, in fact, uh, uh, the road into Nice, uh, he had actually lost the yellow jersey to Alberto Contador, who laid down some vicious attacks, split the group into multiple parts. Contador had the jersey on the road, but uh, uh, Garrett had a very dedicated teammate and a wicked descent into Nice, and the Welshman negated the time deficit and was able to, to beat Contador by four seconds going into Nice. Thomas revealed in his interview after that, he'd put on a 54 chain ring so he could get a little more top end out of that run in Nice. Patrick, you've done that descent in Nice before that they do off the Cote d'Azur? Uh, I, I, I've done part of it. I haven't done the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, the final drop into Nice, I haven't done. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it was crazy good day of racing. Um Perry Nice not the only one that had weather problems too. Terreno canceled their Queen stage due to weather, so uh, Europe getting getting nailed as well with, with weather and, and suffering through it. Of course those guys get paid and we don't. Yeah, and we volunteer it, for this stuff. So can I can I now inject here that uh, okay, I'm not a big fan of the HTFU, but when you're a pro Come on, HTFU. Um, I I mean, here's yeah. the thing: if if every time there was some nasty weather, we canceled bike races for pros, then you know we wouldn't have Andy Hampson's famous ride on the Gavia. Right. We wouldn't have yeah. uh, Bernard Eno's win in the snow at Liège, Bastogne Liège. And so every time they cancel one of these stages, I honestly I get really really irritated because these are the opportunities. Yeah. It's going to crush some people. Some people will quit the race outright. I'm good with that. What I want to see is one guy who's there going, Oh, (laughs) it's on. Uh, I want to see, you know, the one guy who really brings it that day. Uh, what was it? Two years ago, stage five. Um, you know, the, the big muddy Roubaix stage at the tour de France, um, you know, you want to see the one guy who's like, no, this is bike racing. Let's go. Uh, mm. I just, I really can't stand seeing stages get canceled like that. Yep. They do it in the name of rider safety. Um, and this is probably rider driven because they know if they crash in a dangerous stage and they're injured and they're sidelined, uh, someone could come in and take their place on the team. And that's that. I mean, their career could literally come to an end on one bad weather stage so i think a lot of it's probably generated by that but i agree uh sometimes it's time to toughen up and see what we can do um some other great interesting news out of perry nice by the way the head of athlete development for team sky tim Kerrison, says that the team is using a secret new training method that is so good that writers on this method can outperform doped riders. And in fact, the story in the Telegraph noted that Chris Froome's best time up Madone, the climb outside of Nice, made famous as a training ground for Lance Armstrong, who was an EPO guy, as we all know, is now actually, Froome's time is actually faster than Armstrong. So some secret training going on with Team Sky as if they didn't have enough weapons already. Um, that they've got, uh, that their head of athlete development says they can be faster than doped riders with this new training method. And the tension between um, the ASO, this is also out of Perry Nice, and tour riders seems to be growing more. Uh, riders were showing up very late for the ceremonial sign-in. This pisses off not only the ASO, but the local organizers who like to show off the stars of the sport to the fans gathered at the start. Fines were handed out during Perry nice for late sign-ins. Tom Boonen got one of them. The ASO has been making a renewed threats to pull its races out of the UCI World Tour in a battle over control. ASO wants the ultimate say over which teams are invited to races. And this, of course, has caused a, a rift between the riders and the ASO. And hence, these, these protests we get. Lack of signing in. Uh, other news that we've covered, too, uh, guys, on the show. And uh, this just coming into the pace line. Femke Vandendries says she's dropping her defense. In the case the UCI has opened against her for finding a concealed motor in her bike at Cyclocross Worlds in January. She also says she is giving up the sport. She, of course, at the time claimed the bike belonged to a friend but uh, and, and that the bike was mistakenly put in her pit. 
She faced a six-month fine, 10,000 euro fine, but she says she simply doesn't have the money to put up a defense. So instead of going forward with her case, which was supposed to start this week, she's waving the white flag, throwing in the towel, and giving up the sport altogether. Ah, uh, that's terrible. Well, <laughs> it's not terrible. It's it's a it's trying to get a a certain conviction and convert it into a martyr play, and none of us are having it. You know, so many people wanted to see a lifetime ban in response for this. This is if she really quits for good. This is effectively that, and so people should be satisfied. Right, and she's almost doing what we we expect people to do in these cases, which is to admit defeat or at least admit give up, spare us the the drama of a trial or of a hearing or what have you. This is kind of what we expect of athletes to kind of own up and give up. Well, she didn't own up. No, she's just not defending. That's not a confession. So, I I mean, this is as much as we're going to get. It's a confession of me in a roundabout way. She's saying, look, I got nothing here. I got no money. I got nothing. If she really had a case, she'd probably she'd probably go ahead and, no, it's, and move it's forward. No, it's the very thing and if that people, Armstrong Patrick, did. If, pe- if people believed she had a case, wouldn't they help fund her? Wouldn't they, wouldn't they back her financially? Mm. Like the Floyd <laughs> Fairness Fund? <laughs> right. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. Okay, so that wraps up uh, some of the news we've been covering, some follow-up stories. Uh, coming up on the Pace Line, Fatty tells us how to ride at the right speed without... A bike computer. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Fatty, Patrick, and Michael ready to take polls. This is our take a poll segment. Pretty simple. We put a topic on the table and each of us does a small effort. And this time, we turn to the pages of FatCyclist.com for our inspiration, writing the correct speed. This is a very interesting piece by the one and only Fatty. Let me, a little excerpt here. I love reading your stuff aloud, Fatty. Uh, When it comes down to it, there are really only three speeds a cyclist can ride. Too slow, too fast, and just right. As you may have just realized, the correct speed to ride your bicycle is at just the right speed. But how can you tell if you're riding at just the right speed? Well, (laughs) that's not as difficult to figure out as you might think. All you have to do is go on a ride with Fatty. That's right. Fatty, what is the right speed? (laughs) The correct speed to ride a bike is the speed which I personally, not I as in everyone, but I am riding. I, I noticed that recently, that when people start gapping me, I'm really irritated with them, that they would have the gall to actually drop me. That just seems really selfish, you know, that they're putting their <laughs> needs ahead of the whole, a, ahead of the group. <laughs> ahead but of yours. It, ahead of, well, ahead of me, yes. And I think we can all agree <laughs> that it is all about me. What bothers me even more, though, is when folks start dropping behind me and ruining my workout. Because as, once again, it is all about me. That I want people to just go the speed I am going and hold my speed. And then everyone's going to get along just great. When we don't 
when we don't communicate and don't go my speed, that's when there's problems on the bike. So everyone just go my speed. Easy so communication five. is key, you're saying? Well, communication in the form of watch how fast I'm going and then go that speed. <laughs> you know, I think we've all been there before, though, and it's usually those, I don't know what day it kind of comes up, but I, in my head, I've, I've had that same conversation where I've gone, they're going too fast. They're going way too fast. Why are they going so mm-hmm. fast? I don't like this. And, and there have been other days where I've been on the front or moving along at a nice club. Like, what's wrong with these people? Why can't they keep up? Come on, keep up. And Isn't I don't know strange? what puts puts us in that place, but when I read your piece <laughs> and then reread it, I went, wait, wait, I understand exactly what he's talking about. He's not just talking about him or about his own personal thing. He's talking about that conversation we hear in our heads all the time about oh. speed, about the correct speed. Oh, you mean I'm not the only one who's, think, who's thinking that way? Oh. You're not the only <laughs> selfish person on this podcast. No, you're not. Oh, well, that's a little disappointing. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that I was special. <laughs> Did this grow out of a, a, a an actual experience? Uh, was there a uh, moment in time this came to you? Well, it, it grew out of accumulation of 20 years of writing that I really do. Uh, I have that same sense that you do. And I, probably every writer has that when I'm mostly you have it when you're bonked and you're tired and people are starting to gap you. And so you're predisposed toward grumpiness. And I think to myself, why are you going so fast why can't you just back it off a little bit and let's enjoy this ride Mm -hmm. um i don't really feel that so much when um i'm feeling good and having a good day but yeah it's it's amazing how personal i take other people's speed sometimes and and admittedly a little bit irrational Mm -hmm. so what's the protocol do you speak up or do you keep it to yourself um i generally will say uh, make an excuse. Hey, it's a recovery day. That's the best possible excuse you can make. I, I got to back off. It's a recovery day. Got to keep my heart rate below 60. Yeah. Patrick, <laughs> the group dynamics on the road, uh, not much different here, right? Although in, in a group, you can get a varying, much more varying degree of what's going on around you. The people are more grumbling, uh, more different factions breaking off. What, what's been your group protocol to deal with appropriate speed, trying to get the pack to move in unison? You know, more than, once there's more than about four or five people, um, I mostly don't try to ever control a group. The very last occasion where I tried to do something intelligent with the peer ride years ago, uh, we were coming up to a turn. It was raining. It hadn't rained in a long time. I was like... We're going to chill out through this turn. You know, let's let's just all kind of behave ourselves. And 40 feet before the turn, like five guys dove through like they were about to win a crit. And I was like, you know what? I, if you want to die, that's fine. I'm, I'm done. Uh, so I just I don't even try to control what other people are doing. The, but more specifically to this point, Saturday, I was riding with a friend uh and early in the day, he was on it and I was not. He was rolling away from me on the first couple climbs and I couldn't stay with him. I did okay on the flats. Uh, we got 30 miles or so in and suddenly he was not having such a great day. And so I was the one trying not to be 
the uh, jerk who was going too fast. Um, and so I'd try to just get him on my wheel and provide a good draft for him and kept gapping him. And it was just like, oh, I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. Um, I felt so badly about, you know, continuing to drift up the road from him, you know, because I've been on that receiving end. And, uh, you know, all joking aside, man, that, that that can make for some awful suffering. Yeah. Is it is it appropriate to impose our speed, your personal speed, on on others? Though, I guess that's the, that's the underlying question here. It is if you're me. <laughs> Some people are uh, better at managing others. Right. Totally agree with that. Here's another quote from Fatty: No matter what speed I ride, it always feels like I'm going the right speed, and that any other speed would be either recklessly aggressive or dilly dallying. I like to call them doddlers. Uh, submit your comments, complaints, snivelings, threats to fatcyclist.com if you have a response to any of this. The post is up now at fatcyclist.com. Ride the right speed. And that speed My belongs speed. to the one and only fatty. That's right. More ride protocol coming up. We get up close and personal with one pissed off policeman. This is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Topic and talk we could have on the pace line over and over and over again and probably never come up with a definitive answer. Single file and riding to the right. Two of the biggest dilemmas cyclists face on the road, sometimes on the dirt. Uh, the law does not prohibit two abreast riding, and it's up to us to decide how far to the right is safe. We've not won many of these judgment calls, either in court or in the eyes of the public. But one cyclist in Michigan has, Tim Panagas, was ticketed for obstruction, but he got that ticket reversed. Pretty amazing case. Uh, Panagas was one of four cyclists riding two abreast when a trooper used his PA system to instruct them to ride single file. This happened back in the summer. Uh, The cyclists all complied, and then Panagas looked back to see the trooper, how closely he was in his patrol car, Panagas then waved the officer by, and the trooper then pulled the cyclist over. The dashboard cam video tells all. Get off the road. Get off the road. Get your bike off the road. Officer. You have your identification. I'm not trying to. Do you have your identification? Do you have any identification? I have all of it. Thank you. Panagas was in a University of Michigan kit. He's an engineer with Ford and a pretty darn good racer, too. He had some nice results in the Cross Winter Series over the weekend. And to Panagas, the wave-through sign he gave the officer once they all had skinnied up is one that he'd use hundreds of times to signal to drivers that the riders felt it was safe that the vehicle could pass. But the officer did not care for the, the sign, the wave-through sign that he used. I was merely pointing out what the law is so that you know what it is. Officer. And all you did was pass somebody right after I told you, single file, 
and then you wave me on. But now, that to me gives me the impression that you want to be a smart aleck. Officer, you've completely misread Ryan Pinter. It's all on video. Argue with how, the video. How does that help? Because it sees what I said and what you did. By passing another individual, you're going four wide back there, then you go two wide, I say something, the lady that was out moves in, and then you pass somebody. Can you please let me talk? No, I don't need to. So, sounds like what we have here is a cop with some ruffled feathers. He probably thought, you know, when he was being waved around, who is this guy and this Michigan kid to tell me when I can pass? And with that, out came the ticket book. Uh, I think it was an obstruction of traffic or something like that that was written up for. So, man, riding to the right, skinnying up, and uh, this cop, Patrick, well, man, is right, huh? <laughs> quite, quite an attitude that, that we got there. What we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. It, 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 Oh, there was communication. No, there, there <laughs> no. was also a monumental failure of communication. And it, it really, and, and that's kind of the sad part here, right? That this, this guy did the same signal probably every cyclist has done a thousand times. And it's okay that the officer did not understand that. What is sad is he did not then give a guy the benefit of the doubt. You have two adults on the side of the road, and this guy was not willing to say, oh, well, you meant that in a friendly, accommodating, helpful way. I just have never seen that before. That would have been okay. That could have and should have been the end of it. Instead, he needed to maintain some sort of sense of, I'm offended, I am in the right, and I refuse to ever be corrected. And that's just that it's it's sad is really what it is. Well said. Riding to the right, skinning up, Patrick. We have had this discussion in the South Bay with the, the large groups down here yep. over and over. It is a it is crazy how many opinions we all seem to have here. Uh, why don't you give us your kind of take on the protocol when you have a group, large or small? What should happen? And especially when a cop gets behind you, what should happen? Well, you know, my take has been once you notice that there's some traffic behind you, and I mean, technically cyclists are traffic, but uh, in this instance, what we're talking about are, you know, cars behind you that are going to want to pass. Um, I think getting two by two is a pretty good idea. Uh, certainly, Southern California has some uh, group rides that will go three lanes at times, you know, with just complete disregard. Uh, for what's going on with traffic. And I just, I, it's not the sort of thing I ever condoned. It's not something I was comfortable with. It does nothing uh, for our, you know, for our reputations. Um, you know, getting two by two, uh, that's that's perfectly legal. Uh, if the cop then still wants to pull you over, well, he doesn't like cyclists and you're going to go talk to a judge. You know, there's not much you can do to fix that. Um, but I think showing some consideration for the fact that there are other uh, other people using the roads and, you know, give them a chance to get by. Um, and my gosh, that wave, uh, boy, there was a lawsuit. I believe it was in Boulder. Somebody waved a car by um, some another car approached. There was a crash um, and 
the driver who had been waved by by the cyclist sued the cyclist for liability. And uh, this was back in the 1990s. And I remember on our uh, UMass rides, uh, we stopped waving anybody by because we didn't want to have any problems with the cops saying, well, you caused this by waving them by. Mm. So, uh, you know, generally speaking, I think showing somebody some consideration and uh, giving a little wave to say, yeah, it's cool for you to get by now. That's great. But clearly this police officer wasn't looking for understanding. Um, He, you know, just obviously did not like bicycles on the road flat out, you know, and that's the level of education that we're still at you know, nationwide, uh, with the police is, you know, making them understand that, you know, we have a right to be out there, that they shouldn't be irritated simply at seeing us. Um, and I don't know how to fix that. You know, it comes from a weird emotional place that people are still trying to define. What I liked about this video is how calm Panagas was. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Rockstar. He was he such was- an adult. Yeah. Absolutely. He was the calm presence here. He put his latest bike down on the grass. Uh, he was relaxed. He eventually even got the officer to, to listen to him, to listen to his side of the story as to why he was in the lane while the officer was behind him. Why? What are you going to say that I didn't see? Poor road conditions. Poor road conditions. It's illegal for us Where to is that, sir? Right Show me the poor road conditions, sir. Where is that? I can ride as far right of the road under poor conditions as I deem necessary. Right edge of the roadway, not the white line. The right edge of the roadway. There is no poor road conditions back there. Maybe for what? For interfering with traffic. It's called impeding. You are in the roadway. You are to the left of the white line. You can argue that with the judge. Yes, really. Is there anything more you need to say? Yes. What? Stay out of the road. You're not going to see it. You can get it through Freedom of Information because we don't give that out. So Panagas had asked, he wanted to see the tape on the scene, and the response there at the end was that we don't give tape out. You have to go through Freedom of Information to get that type of stuff. But So the cop wrote him up for obstruction of traffic. Uh, Panagas actually lost... The, the first round of this case in a lower court, it was an appeals court judge hmm. who overturned the ticket, uh, agreeing with Panagas that the road in question, and clearly on the videotape, was uh, not in very good condition at all, especially the right side. Very choppy looking road. Not a lot of shoulder there. Um, and that uh, there's no law that says you can't ride to abreast. And so for those reasons, uh, the ticket was thrown out this white line thing too uh patrick and fatty the white line is a bone of contention with uh cops and and the public i mean they feel like we should always be right of the of whatever white line might be out there and uh, we need to i guess somehow delicately tell folks that really isn't the case it's, yeah. it's where it's safe is where we need to be well because the california code is written you know as far to the right as is practicable and I've had cops quote to me as far to the right as possible. And those are two different things. And mm-hmm. their their lack of understanding of that one word difference uh, is the source of a fair amount of conflict. So the big thing here 
and the, the cops condescending attitude was a big part of this. You know, there's a, a, a huge need for education on the part of police. We also have a duty ourselves to make sure that we understand exactly what the law says and permits us. Yeah. I think something missing in driver's education in general is this this rights of the cyclist and how they're how we are supposed to operate. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes us folks on two wheels mess it up. We get it wrong. But it seems like states don't do a great job either at telling new drivers or during the testing process, asking questions about how cyclists are supposed to behave in traffic. And, and that there's that's where that big information education gap is is developing. They just don't know what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Anyhow, Panagas again won his case. That ticket has been reversed. Um, presumably, he's uh, still running around in his University of Michigan kit and still an engineer at Ford. Um, and I don't know what's happened to this cop. Uh, it's one of the things that we hope to find out is, is what happened to him. And hopefully, he has calmed down a little bit, understands hmm. a little bit more about bikes and how they operate. It's just a shame to hear that type of stuff, but Heck, that's why we have uh, that's why we have cop cams now, I guess. Yeah. Not only to to check out what what crimes may have happened, but when when an officer maybe gets it wrong. All right, we open up the garage next and go shopping for another Grupo with no front derailleur and a bike computer company coming out of the ice age. Next on the pace line. His license back. I did a citation for impeding traffic. What you need to do is get a hold of Carl within 10 days. Carter may sign the bottom there. If you have any questions, give them a call. They'll tell you what you need to do. The Pace Line, the cycling podcast on two wheels. Batty, Patrick Brady, Michael Houghton. Uh, the gear bag is open. We love gear on the pace line. Uh, some good stuff, too, coming out, as always. SRAM still appears to be on this quest to eliminate the front derailleur. I'm telling you, Patrick, this is going to happen. There's going to be no front derailleur 10 years from now. We'll all be on disc wheels and no front derailleurs. Evidence? They've introduced an entry-level SRAM has one by group called the Apex. It's a lot like the uh, Force One group. Uh, for a drop bar bike, you get a full group, including hydro disc brakes, $775. Uh, the rear derailleur will accommodate a 42 cassette, which means even a beginner could get by without a front derailleur. And uh, a few shows ago, we told you about the 1050 cassette, the 12-speed cassette that SRAM is reportedly developing. So, again, I contest the front derailleur is an endangered species right now, my friends. Well, they live in Chicago. Uh, I kind of get that. What we need to make sure is that they keep that satellite office in San Luis Obispo open so that they don't kill them all. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, most of the world is pretty flat. And uh, a front trailer, when you've got these great spreads on your cassettes, a front trailer is not that necessary. Um, you know, if I was still living in, in Memphis, um, I could certainly consider it. Uh, here in California, I'm going to continue to need it. But for entry-level cyclists in you know most of the world, uh, this introduction of this new uh, Apex group is pretty neat. Um, I mean, the one kind of funny thing to me is that 
if you're living in a place flat enough where uh, you don't need a front derailleur, I'm not sure you're coming down hills fast enough to truly warrant disc brakes. But, you know, that's just me. Fatty, in Alpine, could you get around on a one-by system on the road? I'd be interested to find out. I've never ridden with a one-by road system. I do all of my mountain biking with either a single speed or with a one-by system. And that includes some pretty steep climbing. Um, I am intrigued. I would love to try uh, to see uh, you know, how I do going up the Alpine loop uh, with a one-by system. I yeah, think I it'd think be fun. I think you. I think based on your mountain biking, you know, uh, resume and legs, you're probably going to be fine. And especially if you're not the roadie types like Patrick and I tend to be, where we are always looking for that perfect gear. We want to fine tune each little shift and always be just perfect. Um, I think the the mountain guy is going to be the one that can make this jump the easiest because they're not yeah. afraid of the big jumps, the big jumps in gears and. And me too. I'm intrigued too. I love the one by. I love it on my mountain bike. Mm-hmm. Um, although in the longer events, I'm still a two by guy uh, for longer mountain bike events. I still like the the range on that. Hey, yeah. remember remember Polar? <laughs> remember that company? I tried made not to. Uh, heart rate monitors. Yeah. Oh, I do. Whatever happened to Polar? I'll tell you what happened to Polar. I think I know what happened to them. Garmin. That's what happened. GPS. That's what happened to them. Well, Polar is trying to catch up. They do have GPS computers now, in case folks didn't know, and they have made a deal with the devil. I I mean, um, Strava. Oh, I thought you were going to say Lance. (laughs) No, Strava. They are offering two months of Strava premium with the purchase of the Polar V650, that is, GPS computer. Uh, Sounds like Polar has the same deal as Garmin, where Garmin Connect can be synced with Strava. Polar Flow, that's their, their website side of things, does the same thing, but the first question here is why not call it polar express first of all instead of polar <laughs> flow and second who is using polar anymore what happened here guys what patrick what happened to polar well their their units were terribly difficult to use i mean i remember with the cross trainer plus there were times that to get into certain modes i had to push three buttons um, it was routine to need to push two buttons together to get into certain modes and access certain things. But at times you needed to push three buttons, which meant that you actually had to have, you know, the unit, uh, available to both hands. It couldn't be on your wrist. Um, I, I just, their units have been just so poorly designed. They are, they are like the antithesis of the iPhone, you know? And I think, People, once they were presented with a good alternative, i.e. Garmin, uh, people just uh, abandoned them en masse, and they had it coming. The units were just too difficult to use. Polar, uh, rather, Fatty, you've been riding long enough, obviously, to have been a polar guy at one point. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do you still have a a system, and does it get used? No, no, I don't have a polar anymore. Um, you know, or if I do, it's sitting at the bottom of a box, turning into the electronic equivalent of a mulch. But <laughs> I, I welcome them coming back and trying something because, for my money, it feels like Garmin has kind of gotten a little bit lazy. I don't feel like the most recent Garmin bike computers are anywhere near as elegant and perfect as the 500 right the edge 500 that came out what six years ago now seven i don't even know how long ago but nothing they've come out since then has been as 
perfect of a machine or a perfect of a device as that. You know, the 510 I've had broke a million, you know, I think I went through three of them. The 520, I'm working with that right now, but the Bluetooth is shaky as can be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm looking for someone to come and make Garmin start competing again. You need yeah, to Lezine check Lazine has made yeah. an attempt. Patrick Lazine has got a good bike computer, but it does not do mapping or something like that, right? Yeah, Otherwise, no, it's a good bike no computer. mapping functions. It's, you know, it's a GPS bike computer, you know. Um, mm-hmm. They have three different levels. The Super does, you know, an awful lot of functions, heart rate, wattage, you know. They're both Bluetooth and Ant Plus compatible. So it doesn't matter what sort of devices you're running. Uh, it'll talk to them all. Um it's really, really well done. I've been using the Super GPS, you know, ran it on Saturday. Uh, they're pretty bomb-proof units. And then also, people are only really talking about Pioneer uh, for their uh, wattage devices. But the computer they make, you know, you can use that without having one of their wattage devices. And it offers the single most uh, flexible uh, display of any computer I've ever used. You can really choose uh, down to the very last item, you know, just what it shows on screen. You can choose screen mm-hmm. layouts. Um, it's got multiple screens. So it's uh, it's a pretty stunning unit. Um, it's mm-hmm. going to be getting a very nice review from me very shortly. Right. And uh, Fatty, I think you're on to something with price here too. These gar- or the, rather the polar devices that I just mentioned that come with the Strava bundle are all the, the two units that they have are both in the $300 range. That's with a heart rate uh, strap and, and transmitter. So um, it, it looks like they're probably trying to come underneath Garmin as far as pricing mm-hmm. and the design product the same way. So I obviously think price is another way to, to try and get back in the game for Polar. I still have a Polar. I still use the Polar um, heart rate strap with my Garmin transmitter plugged into it because the Garmin straps for me, I just have horrible times with, I have to, I have to outsource the strap. So, and I still use my, uh, I have a polar watch, the 720 series or whatever. I still wear it once in a while. I still use it when I'm in the gym, um, just to monitor things. Um, once in a while, I'll just wear it around. Sometimes I'll just wear it as a watch when I'm riding. So it, it this does get some use, but Patrick, you're right. The boy, on the user-friendly skill, uh, Polar really, really had its troubles over the years. So, and uh, but good luck with Polar. Anyhow, we'd like to see more competition in the in this GPS game. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of money and uh, purchases, a Wiggle Chain Reaction and the rest of our overseas quote unquote friends have been handed some more ammo this time by our own federal government. Uh, President Obama actually assigned a bill that contains language that raises the dollar amount on how much you can spend before import taxes kick in. So before it was 200 bucks, and then anything above that, you had to pay import taxes and things could get tied up in customs if you were ordering overseas. Now that's $800. So there's more headroom now for consumers browsing overseas websites for bike stuff. It means those orders are less likely to get tied up. And another reason to shake your fist if you are a U.S. web store or retailer. So overseas buying has now become uh, even more of an advantage. Uh, That should wrap up the pace line for uh, this time. But first, we want to check in with our uh, threesome here. Fatty, what's happening on FatCyclist.com and the FattyCast? 
Oh, I've got a lot more to say about the True Grit epic, including what I think may be the most awesome bailout in the True Grit epic ever. I'll just give you a hint. It involves calling a cab and going to Burger King. <laughs> That's right. By the also, way, your buddy that was on the video you took when you reconned, he, did he do True Grit? Yes, he did. Yes, and how did he do? Oh, actually, no, that was that was Kenny. I was thinking of another guy, another video. I'm sorry, no, Kenny, uh, the day before the True Grit, uh, had knee surgery. So, no, oh. he was uh, he was out on the course handing up bottles a day after uh, knee surgery, having some hardware removed from a injury a year ago. But, well, that's yeah. cool. He did True yeah. Grit then in his own way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yep. he's a strong guy. He'll uh, he went on a tandem mountain bike ride later that afternoon. Uh, yeah, you cannot keep Kenny off a bike. It's simply impossible. We like to follow up wow. with the people we have on video crashing, and this is going to be a topic actually for the pace line coming up. We're going to talk about uh, volunteering at, at races and what. Yeah, you know what is our what is our obligation here as participants. Uh, yep. on the volunteer side of things. So we'll look forward to doing that. Patrick, it looks like uh, spring has sprung on Red Kite Prairie. Not the weather, not in Sonoma, maybe not spring-like, but <laughs> you got a lot of uh, blooming activity there on Red Kite Prairie. Yeah, yeah. Some fun gear reviews coming up. Uh, I'll be writing about my experience at Chileno Valley. Um, let's see, uh, travel piece uh, I'm working on. So yeah, diverse stuff. And if weather still stinks in your area, I have a review up on redkiteprayer.com on the Tex Vortex trainer. Had a good time with it. I continue to use it. In fact, did some efforts uh, the other day on it. Um, and overall, was uh, generally pleased with that piece of machinery. Really a nice looking and nice operating um, trainer. Uh, the pace line can be found on the pages of redkiteprayer.com where you will also find links to the show and show notes. It's a good spot also to leave a comment about what we talked about. You can also grab this podcast off iTunes and Stitcher. So for Fatty and Patrick, I am Michael Houghton. We'll talk to you next time on The Pace Line. Thank you guys for doing what you're supposed to do and following directions. Thank you. That's fine. That's your right.